is the Doing Diversity in Writing podcast, the show where we as authors explore the better practices of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany A. Tucker, and with me each week is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Ready? Let's dive in. week. Hey, Bethany. I'm fine. How are you? I I have actually been working on drafting our book, parts of my work on it. So yes, I know. Yes, I'm excited about that. I've been deep in this all over the place, but I promise to stay on topic and not talk about different parts. Okay, good. Because we this is our first episode of season three, and we thought this would be a good topic to like for the transition between talking about or focusing on race and ethnicity and moving into a series on gender and sexuality. We're going to talk about hair, hair care, head coverings, all of those. So all of these things are both ethnically dictated in many cases and usually coded by gender. For example, during the migration of Europeans westward across the North American Great Plains and like mountain ranges towards the West Coast, women settlers were often found to be wearing bonnets while men wore brimmed hats. You will, however, find quite a few old photographs of women wearing wide brimmed hats as well, especially if they were taking on roles outside of a male-female partnership farming lifestyle. To be honest though, I have not found any photographs of men wearing bonnets. And I think that's the thing about equality, that women get to wear what men have always already been wearing. It's never the other way around, which says an awful lot. Absolutely something to play around with if you're trying to build different, more equal worlds, I would say. Yes. Although I'm kind of down with the trend of some men wearing heeled shoes these days, especially like Absolutely. pop stars. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think Adam Lambert does it exceptionally well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about JVN, Jonathan Von Ness. Oh, okay. All right, so, yeah. so <laughs> personally, I have a complicated relationship with uh, hair and especially head coverings. Growing up um, for, for four years or so, I saw all the women in my church at the time, except my mother, covering their heads. Um, all the married women, I should say. It wasn't a large covering, about a handkerchief size, but they all did it. And to be honest, I both loved the head coverings and also feared them. They were honestly beautiful, tasteful, really useful when it was windy, to be honest. But it was also a sign that the women did not carry power over their own lives, that whatever say that they had in their community in their own lives was granted conditionally by their husbands. And that, even as a child, was hard for me. So later, as a uni student, I wore lots of head wraps while I was traveling, mostly because I didn't have consistent access to showers more than once a week. And my hair was, let's say, ugly, getting stripped by the water. Half of it was straight. Half of it was curly. (laughs) You did not want pictures. Um, So wearing my hair wrapped up kept it cleaner in the pollution and the smog and, frankly, in some areas, just the dirt that was blowing everywhere. Um, The cloth would also absorb some oils and keep um, 
just everything separated the pollution, my hair, the oil, it just took care of it. And because I was using a type of soap and hair care that wasn't meant for my type of curly hair, because I was buying hair products in Asia for straight hair, um, no one would see the damage that was being done. And it was, it was beautiful and protective. I was really proud of my head wraps, the way I, I learned to tie them. Even if everyone around me often thought I was like Russian, Russian or Muslim, I had a lot of questions. Where are you from? Why are you speaking English? <laughs> but at least no one was asking me for money as Americans. So I was like passing. Like I felt like I was slipping under the radar. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like a spy unintentionally or just a theater actor. Anyway, <laughs> it was funny. As authors, I do want to encourage all of us to bring a curiosity and awareness of agency to the subject of what's on our heads for our characters and for ourselves, which will inform our characters, be that hair or head coverings. All of us have baseball caps lying around or that old visor, a sun hat in the closet, that snow hat that we've had for forever. We've all had moments of squinting in the mirror and deciding what we're going to do with our quote unquote look be it hair or hat, or the day we say, nope, this is pointless. I'm putting a hat over it. Um, we wear hats to games like uh, football games, soccer games, uh, to advertise who we're rooting for, which is really no different than tribes have been doing for thousands of years. Or we carefully choose our hairdresser friend or hairdresser before important days in our lives. So even though it's something so common, we might not think about it as writers, it's everywhere all the time. Yeah. So in this episode, um, it will be partially like dead practical, like our episode on skin tones at the beginning of season two. We will also include interesting concepts that might spark an idea for you as authors. Um, we hope we spark ideas for you and things to keep in mind as you craft characters and plots. And as always, there will be shout outs to red flags to try to avoid or to handle carefully or within context. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm currently doing research for a new series and just the research we did for this one gave uh -huh. me so many interesting plot points. So yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. You didn't yes. tell me this. Yeah. No. I'll but catch I'm you like, after I'm we like, record. I'm, so I was taking separate notes for that. Um, so yeah, let's let's go over some color descriptions for hair um, and then some texture descriptions. All right. So to be honest, there's nothing wrong with the very habitually used hair terms, in case you're wondering, such as black, blonde, brown, brunette, red, and white, as well as gray. There's also yeah. the term salt and pepper that comes up for characters whose hair is showing age or stress. But we're writers. We can also get a bit more creative. Do you have any opinions about when writers refer to characters by their hair color? Honestly, I'm more set off when male characters do it in situations for female characters where they've just not bothered to learn a woman's name. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like the morning after, I don't know her name. She was brunette. The blonde uh, one, yeah. Yeah, that sets me off. Yeah. But by and large, no, I'm really not when a character is referred to by their hair color. I think it's a bit boring if it goes on too long. But for me, it's like saying, uh, that person in the big black coat with the gold buttons whose name I haven't learned yet, that one. 
How about you? Does it bother you? Well, one of my editing pet peeves is POV characters describing their own hair color, right? When they're describing their actions, their hair color comes up. Um, same goes for when they describe their own eye color, but that's not the topic uh, of this of today's episode. But that's also something that makes me go like, you cannot see that. Uh, and you're not <laughs> consciously aware constantly, right? So unless you've recently changed your hair color or you have some sort of obsession with the color of your hair, either negatively, like let's say you hate that you have really dark hair or you're super proud that you have amazing blonde hair that you inherited from your grandmother or something and that makes it stand out for you all the time. I would say hey, your hair color it is such a part of you that you shouldn't be noticing it and saying, repeating the color right? Like if my hair blows in front of my face, my hair blows in front of my face. I would never say, oh, my ginger hair blew across my eyes. That's definitely a POV issue. Like, for example, when I was wearing that turban a lot in China, um, sometimes I would go so long between places where I could shower that when I unwrapped my hair, I was totally surrounded by people with different hair color than me. And I would be surprised by my hair color because it was different than when I was seeing around me. And my hair had like changed color because of the water and everything. So that would be a time where a character could mention their hair because something has changed about it. But otherwise, yes. I don't think about it and my characters don't. Yeah, it's just just theirs. Yeah. So a huge pet peeve for me. So now That's for someone. Yeah. Um, so for some more color names for hairs, I, I think you had a bit of fun looking up color charts, didn't you? I did. I have training as an artist. And if I had my full pencil set anymore, I would have broken that out for names, um, which is something you can totally do. If you have kids, go grab their crayon set, read the names off the crayons. It actually might be surprising. But I think we have another POV issue that we should address here before we start. Yes, because you know, as authors, we are limited by what kind of colors um, or words, the color words, the POV of the character writing in would know and the world we've set them in. So, for example, if your POV character is colorblind, they will see hair color differently. My ex, so my hair is blonde, not as ginger. And you could use that for your plot. Or if your world is a space like varying species that hasn't spent much time on a planet, they may not call someone's hair dye job like sky blue, but maybe they would call it after some blue planet that they know of or a blue crystal if the society uses crystal tag. That would be kind of exciting. Crystal tech's pretty. Um, these are things we can always have fun with. The words our POV characters use to describe other characters or themselves are character building communication opportunities. Um, there's so much space for us to deepen our worlds in those moments. And it's literally like one or two word choices. So we can extend our reading experiences of our characters and our worlds with, without exposition, to be honest. Um, yes. so some characters will know an entire slew of color words for hair colors, like if they're an artist. Um, so we are going to talk about color words and I'll start with color names that fall under the broad umbrella of black. And in no particular order, we <laughs> just throw it, just throw it out there. I feel like I'm lobbing baseballs. All right. Jet black, pitch black, shiny black, inky black. In some settings, this could be a compliment, 
but in other settings, not. So be sensitive there. Pitch dark, dark, very dark, sable, raven, obsidian, onks, ferberite, black jade. I'll also suggest indigo here, but for black hair with a blue sheen to it, which some people do have and some people choose to get dyed. There are some descriptions of black hair that are food related, such as molasses. And while using food related terms for skin is not suggested, it is less problematic to use food words for hair. I'll let you ponder why that is for yourself. Molasses is a description word that has a texture implied in it. I would only use it for thick, straight, long black hair because the implied movement and texture of the word. So black hair descriptions that I would suggest thinking twice about are coal black, ebony, again, situational dependent, suit black, unless someone's hair is literally covered in suit or another substance is making their hair black, which in which case, probably a good term to use it. And squid ink. Um, don't know why you would want to use that for hair, but I would definitely think twice about it because of where it comes from. And it's just weird. <laughs> a bit fishy. It's also used as a food, but again, food isn't a problem anyway. Yeah. All right. So I have a list here for brown hair or brunettes. Light golden brown, light brown, dark gold brown, dark golden brown, chocolate, coffee colored, ash brown, honey, umber, caramel, reddish brown, tiger's eye, which is kind of, um, so that's the gem. So that's appropriate for hair with lots of dark and light brown shadings. Bronze, copper, chestnut, tawny, auburn. And this is one of the words that straddles red hair too. Hmm. Of course, you know, you can mix all of these words together. So you can say dark, light, rich, pale, warm, cool in front of them. And then there's also less common ones like cinnamon, dark beer, and even less common cola. And which I think is funny because, you know, cola in a bottle is like black, but like when you, when you pour it out, it's actually brown. So it's, a, it's interesting. It is uh, interesting. Color. And some hair, you look at it, you think it's brown, you think it's black, and then you realize yeah. it's brown. Yeah, especially like, so this is also something to think about that a hair can look a particular color, but if you see a person like inside a room or under mm -hmm. a very specific light, but then when they walk out into the sunshine, you suddenly realize there's like a brown undertone or a red undertone or like a blue undertone even. Um, exactly. Yeah. So brown hair words that we suggest not using would be mink, uh, mostly for its connotation as an animal hunted for its fur. Words like like dirt, like is in dirt brown, also for obvious reasons, unless of course you're describing hair that is literally matted in dirt, then it's a different story. So context might is be useful. Supported. Yeah. Um, tobacco, because that has both a green form and a dried form. And also, of course, because of its smoking associations. But of course, if that fits your character, totally go for it. Just be sensitive of when and how you're using it. Exactly. All right. Blonde hair types. This certainly runs into brunette hair types. Um, so there's a lot of brown hair types that are on the lighter end of the spectrum that can be used with the term pale or light in front of it and still means something that's in the blonde shades. We also have golden, ash blonde, golden blonde, fair haired, flaxen, sandy, strawberry blonde, and yellow. Personally, I would only use yellow in a modern setting if someone had dyed their hair a true yellow, but that's me. And some would say bronze and tawny belong here as well. 
which we've also noted works for brunettes. Mm -hmm. Are there any words for blonde hair types that you would use? Not that I can think of right now. I can think of a few more good descriptions, including sun bleached, light, and toe headed, though the last one might not be comprehensible to many readers anymore. I'm torn on terms like bottle blonde because sometimes it really does fit and sometimes it's definitely an insult, but certain yeah. characters would naturally use it. Yeah, and sometimes if the insult is intended, Yes, like yeah. I was reading yesterday and a character insulted another character and it really moved the plot forward, but it was obvious it was an insult that the author themselves would not have used on someone and I was totally fine with it. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's like the, it very much depends if it fits your POV, go for it as long as you as the author are sensitive to the connotations and know how you are using them. Yeah. Like, we're not going to pretend that jerks aren't going to be characters in our books. There's always going to be jerks in our books. Yes. So I think that leaves us with redheads. Which I'm totally leaving you on point for that. Just because I'm a ginger? Exactly. So you can tell me, once and for all, if Carrot Top is derogatory or not. I'm voting yes, because I always think of rabbits eating carrot tops in my <laughs> garden. But I'm not a redhead, so I have no idea. Yeah, no, carrot top is definitely uh, a derogatory term. Yeah, it very much is an insult. Um, I've never been called one or the, the Dutch variation of it. Um, but I also don't have the bright orange hair that some redheads have, right? There is a lot of shades of red. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's the common word, red. And there's a few terms we've already mentioned that cross over, like auburn, copper, strawberry, blonde. Uh, new ones would be fire red, flaming red, ginger, chestnut, crimson, russet, mahogany, and wine. I'm imagining wine is like a black red or a purple red and not necessarily naturally occurring all that often. Yeah, it's a bit like the indigo you mentioned. Um, it's like a really, really dark red, almost like black hair with this red sheen to it. And no, I don't think it naturally, I mean, it looks gorgeous, right? But I don't think it naturally occurs. I mean, if it does, and anyone who's listening is like, please let us know, but I, I've never seen it. I've never seen it as a natural color, no. Yeah, all right. If we're including hair that can be dyed, I'd include pink, salmon, etc. But honestly, the list of dyed colors is too long. We'd have to yeah. include blues and greens. And I think we'll let everyone listening go figure those colors out for yourself if you want to yeah. warn writers. Do you want to warn writers off of any redhead bashing terms? Well, gingy, as in a gingy guy, that's not very nice. Um, and some people, not including myself, do not like the term ginger. And there are many articles written about why you should not use the word ginger. Oh, I fell down that rabbit hole for like 45 minutes. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, because it's been used in certain parts of the world, specifically in Britain, in very negative ways, right? But again, this is a context-dependent issue. Like, my partner calls me my ginger, right? As a term of endearment. But if I'd been called ginger or the Dutch equivalent of it in a bad way growing up, I would have felt completely different about the term, right? Mm -hmm. That's just... So you can also play with that. You can have two characters, for example one of them is completely insulted and the other one is like dude what's your problem right you can you can work with that um i'm thinking also by the way like 
in Australia, a term for redhead is a ranger. And this is offensive because it's short for orangutan. Yeah, that seemed pretty offensive. Doesn't it? <laughs> um, during yeah. my research, I ran across discussions I really didn't expect that seemed to stem from the bullying of redheads in England, more widely in the UK, with a subtext of derision towards Irish people from people of more English stock. Honestly, I didn't have time to get to the bottom of it, so I just decided to ask you, since you've traveled there more in the region than I have, some commenters, though, said it was regional with pockets here and there and not everywhere in the UK, and some commenters claimed that people were obviously showing that they were Americans because they were okay with the term ginger. I just really couldn't get a clear answer. It seemed to be all over the board. Evidently, there's also a lot of myths and meanings applied to having red hair. Yeah, I don't know what it's like now because I did not grow up there and no one ever commented on my hair when I was visiting Scotland or when I was living in Ireland. But I do know that in Aberdeen, Scotland, back in the day, running across a redheaded woman on the day your ship was leaving the harbor was a bad omen, right? If she had flat feet to boot, you were just doomed. That's just, it was, it was, shit was gonna, gonna happen. And of course, there's this thing about gingers not having a soul, which was used in a South, Bear, South Park episode once. Um, I never saw yeah, that so there, there, Oh, it's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, it, it's definitely, there are lots of myths around it. But again, I think that these days, that, it, that doesn't play a role as much. But if you, of course, are writing historical fiction, absolutely dig into this if your character if one of your characters has red hair because there are certain and i'm sure that especially that the the english and irish thing that you mentioned i didn't know about that but i can imagine that right because uh, the irish scene is a different class yes exactly. so it's a visual visual reminder that they're different so of course it will have been used in different ways and stories will have you know been a plenty so definitely Definitely, if you are writing historical fiction, do look into how certain hair colors, it doesn't have to be red, right? It, any other color can be picked Yeah, to scapegoat people. Uh, do dig into that a little bit. Yeah, so, too big to cover. I will just say really quick before we move on, I forgot to put this in our notes. Um, when I was teaching in China, I had students from the Xinjiang region, which is towards uh, like, Kazakhstan, the, the western part of China, going into the central and moving across towards Europe, but not at Europe yet. Um, he had flaming red hair, naturally. And there's whole people groups in that area that western people often forget. There's red and blondes in that area too. Yeah. Yeah. So it is not even stuck, because I think a lot of people are like, if you're like from Ireland or from Scotland, that's when you get red hair, but that's not the case. That's not actually the case. There's people with red hair in other parts of the world naturally as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good point. Yeah. So dig into that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm assuming that in those regions, if it's like really rare, there will also be stories about or myths about, right? Well, there might be. So this is as, also if you write fantasy, it could be fun to make something up for this. Yeah. 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 All right. I can so see that being a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. But all right. I'm, I'm going to keep a lid on story ideas. I'll pick your brain later. So last yes. category. Second gray to hair. last category, actually. Second. Second to, yes. Gray hair. Okay. 
because we're okay. going to be shortly talk about white hair. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this is the point in life where you're hopefully well on your way to becoming a sage or that mystic character sitting on the top of a mountain looking down on all the foolishly young people, right? Yes, that, that's exactly, that's exactly uh, when you are showing your beautiful gray dresses. So words for that are frosty, salt and pepper, as you've mentioned before, uh, gray, hoary or hoary headed, slate gray, ashen, gunmetal gray, flint, grizzled, steel, pewter, hematite, and of course, silver. I would have a small side note here, uh, simply because we were talking about redheads. Every hair color changes color differently. So for true. example, if you have really dark hair, you will get gray hair sooner. Some people with red hair, they become salt and pepper. They never actually get a gorgeous gray silver hair color, right? So do look like if you if you if you're writing something and your character is aging or they you talk about their youth when they were like blonde or brunette or or have black hair, think about do some research on what their hair naturally would look like when it's graying. Yes, it does it is change. Yeah, it does change. Yeah, yeah, All it right. just changes. Yeah. Okay, last one. Last one, and closely related, white hair. So just a couple yeah. here: snow white, uh, snowy, pearly, alabaster, and opalite. Yes. So again, I think it's cute because we have so. I say cute because I have tons of crystals, but you see a lot of names here from crystals, and we 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 made the same comments when we talked about skin tones that you can get creative just by looking at gems. So yes. you see the same here, right? Like just look at a, a chart, like a chart of, and of course this is also POV dependent. Mm -hmm. Like if you if you have a character who's into crystals, they might describe the world around them in those shades. If you have someone who's always doing color coding on a computer, they might know the that. numbers of a color. Exactly. Exactly. They'll be like, "Oh, that looks like a uh, the song. a four oh sixteen twenty nine. I yes. don't know. I'm making exactly. stuff up here. Yes. I've had to do it a little bit when I was like designing websites. All right. So let's talk about dyeing hair. We just have a couple notes because this is such a broad topic. We're going to keep it yes focused Short. on yes. issues. Yes, that have come up. Yeah. So we've noticed noticed that some people have called out the color street trend that appears among East Asian female characters somewhat regularly. For example, Tina in the series Glee, um, Mako Mori in Pacific Rim, and Gogo Tamago. Is that how I pronounce that? In Big Hero 6. Let's take a moment to address this issue. All right. So I'll start by saying that when I lived in South Korea, I had never seen so many women over the age of 70 with such wild hair colors, especially blue and purple. There was this lady who ran the convenience shop near the base of my studio tower and her hair changed regularly and always had some sort of neon hue to it. It actually was like a bright spot in my day. It was amazing. So yes, um, Asian female characters do regularly dye their hair in certain places. Um, it really does happen. It's a fashion trend like anything else. It can change. Uh, again, I haven't lived in South Korea in a few years. But um, East Asian women do totally enjoy playing with hair color. So take it city by city and character by character. Don't just slap the same idea on every East Asian character because there's a whole bunch of different countries and cultures there. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it problematic, right? So I like what the writing with color Tumblr pages uh, mod 
Jess said about this, and we've talked about this page before, and we'll link to it again. It's a really good resource if you write uh, diversity. So she says, and I quote, we need to shy away from the not like other East Asian stroke when it comes to description. Creators shouldn't use colored hair streaks slash unnaturally colored hair as a shorthand for actual character development, especially where it doesn't seem particularly likely that they would dye their hair in the first place. But as a lady who also dyes her hair, I take a lot of issue with the even if there's a good reason for it, you're contributing to stereotypes comments, since there are East Asian girls and women who do dye their hair and put in blue slash purple slash pink streaks. I argue that the trope shouldn't be used to make East Asian characters stand out from other East Asians, but at the same time, erasing girls and women who do that as playing into stereotypes feels really dismissive here. End of quote. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. There are certain traditional roles and jobs that an East Asian woman would not be able to dye her hair and still hold the job. But I think that's my last comment. I encourage anyone who wants to hear more of both sides of the issue to go see our link in our show notes, East Asian women hair color trips. Yeah, yeah, I'm putting in that link, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so... There isn't a better research with visuals for hair terms, specifically African, but some others as well, and, and hair types um, than writing with colors, words to describe hair post, right? You mean resource? I heard research. Okay, I meant, I don't know what I said, but I, said, I meant, I meant, <laughs> I meant there isn't a better resource, yes. Okay, I, uh, Which came up during our research. Uh, exactly trying to save myself here i encourage everyone to visit that page again this is so this is the writing with color tumblr um if you know what you want to describe but you don't know the words for it right there's a lot of language and lots of pictures that are labeled clearly with the appropriate terms yes i do recommend it as well the black hair glossary by afrocentrics um is also quite handy for afro hair terms i really also appreciate the chapter on hair in Salt and Sage's How to Write Black Characters, a guy mm -hmm. we've talked about before. Yes. Um, they point out an issue that my husband and I had, which is that in the U.S. there's a, a tradition of Black barbers and hairdressers who cater to those of African descent to do their hair. That's because different hair products and techniques are used for different types of hair. For example, when I lived in Asia, every hairdresser I saw straightened my hair with an iron before cutting it because they only had experience with cutting straight hair. And they literally like five of them were standing around my head trying to figure out how to cut curly hair. <laughs> and um, my, my hair clearly shows a background of uh, curly wavy hair heritage. It's so not straight. Yeah. So when you think about this as a storyteller, if you, let's say, have a black student with an Afro visiting friends, especially friends with a different hair type, like for the summer, they will almost certainly bring their own hair products or at least skip using the hair products meant for a different kind of hair. Like they're not going to share the hair products with their friends. It's not going to go well, right? And perhaps no. it will be hard for people in certain areas to find hair products um, or they have to make themselves, have to make them themselves. Yeah, although I will say that some of my um, friends with uh, Jewish heritage, certain types of Jewish heritages, because there's multiple types, um, as Ashkenazi Jewish heritage, do really well with Black 
hair products. Like um, they buy some of the same hair products my husband buys. So they can share, but they can anyway. share. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry, I got off traffic. Some black men I know will use any, just any hair product on their hair if they keep their hair short. Um, if damage happens, they'll soon cut it and it, it's not optimal, but no one's really going to notice. Um, and then um, if you're looking for like specific brands or names for your hair, your characters with uh, quote unquote ethnic hair, I'm bothered by that term because everyone yes. has ethnic hair, but yes, um, you can go to the ethnic hair care aisle in your like Walgreens or whatever shop that sells stuff like that. Um, and let's see, they're probably not going to use Pantene, Dove, or Nexus if they have any kind of what these shops call ethnic hair. That stuff just doesn't work as well. Um, so look for different things. Um, this will, if they're using those like normal Pantene, Dove, Nexus, and they have this Afro or Jewish Afro type of hair, the hair will feel really rough, like the scrubbing side of a sponge for a dish and break when combed. It's not fun. Hair oh, needs no, to does, be hydrated. Like that seriously, moisturizer is important. Um, so depending on where you live, I'm getting a little tangled up here. I'll try to be clear. Research your hair products. If your book requires you to go that deep, you can probably write around this. Um, it's as easy as walking over to the quote unquote ethnic hair care aisle. Um, you'll see a lot of like shea butter products, the brand Contu, Mixed Chicks and others. Little Little is a brand that we use in our house as well as Jezzy Curl. And my friend with more of a tight Jewish texture to her hair likes to use Diva Curl. Um, I don't see needing name brands as much in the story but the process is more important. So like uh, they, they're like a, a white woman might often just like throw a shampoo and then a conditioner in her hair and like, like leaving conditioner maybe and then she's done but there's going to be a lot more going on for someone with these really tight curly types that need more moisturizer and it's going to take more work to quote unquote get ready to go. Yeah. It might even be several hours. Like one of my partner's deep conditions like twice a week and he has to tie his hair up in a scarf for like three hours yeah that's definitely something to take into account yeah so one thing that happens in the hair care industry at least in many places is that trading to be licensed does not necessarily include trading for working with uh with like non-dominant and i also do quote unquote here hair care types right because I don't think necessarily that what we consider dominant in our society are actually like the majority of people. Um, it might be non-dominant in the region they trained in, like the hair yeah. care people that took care of me in Shanghai. They're not usually seeing uh, like Irish European curly hair that often. No. So you can be licensed and not know how to cut or care for certain times of hair right so that is also something that could be really interesting in a plot or a background or yeah yeah um a lot of black people who find themselves needing hair care in a town without black stylists will run into this that's one of the reasons I started cutting my husband's hair and now I also cut my boyfriend's hair 
um, it's not just knowledge, it's having the right products on hand and the tools, because the tools are actually different. I do not use my comb on my husband or my boyfriend's hair because the, the tongs, the teeth on the comb are too close together. And I don't use my mother's brush because she likes bristle brushes because um, her hair is straighter than mine. And she, her, her brush would just take my hair apart. Um, so it's completely possible to write a character who doesn't know how to care for their own natural hair um, of any kind of hair. Uh, that would be a journey that I've had, um, several family members have had, and friends. We defaulted to the straight white hair care routine until we learned, aka read that, got frustrated and found <laughs> better. Um, YouTube is amazing. And as authors, you can definitely dig into there. Just start Googling or searching terms and you'll learn so much and you'll see just how much it actually means for identity and why we are talking about it so much in this episode, because for characters, it can really be something. Yeah. So here's some terms that you've told me about, and I've also came across them uh, as we did our research. Natural hair, protective hairstyles, out as in an Afro, which not all people with an African heritage can actually do. Um, and the term thinning, I know what thinning is, but, but the other ones. Okay, so a quick explanation, and I'm not just pointing everyone back to our resources page since I, I am going to point people back to our resource page since we have a lot more to cover. So please check the show notes on this one. Natural hair is hair that isn't chemically straightened or permed isn't combined with weaves or significantly changed in other ways. So an Afro could be a natural hairstyle for some types of black hair. Natural hair isn't as big of a term in communities that aren't black in my experience. There's a lot of product that still goes into making a healthy natural hair happen like conditioners, moisturizers, but the natural state of the hair is being encouraged and that's what's being highlighted by the term. Protective hairstyle is another term I mostly run into when reading black hair. These are often braiding styles that lets a, a person's hair rest and not be subjugated to heat or chemicals to force it into particular shapes. So additional hair might be braided into the scalp to create a style that is easier on the person's own hair so healthy hair can come back or grow out, uh, but that person still has a really nice hairstyle that everyone can see while their hair rests underneath it. Um, I think, but check me that certain types of wigs can be considered a protective hairstyle, but I am not absolutely sure on that. And then thinning for people who don't know, I know you know, Marielle. Yeah. Um, it's a term my friend from the Philippines introduced me to. Her hair was so thick. I mean, like bigger than my arm thick when she held it in a ponytail. Um, it was hard on her to style. Her hairdressers would use a special type of scissors that had like this jagged edge to it that would cut the hair at different lengths so the longer ends of her hair would a bit less thick and weighed less on her head, but she still got to keep her beautiful long length. Yeah, and that like, I know the term because that's what my hair needs a lot of too. And I actually prefer there are two, two, two ways of doing it. I prefer the scissors because um, I'm used to people doing it hairdressers doing it they cut it actually so they cut it with a regular scissors they open the scissors and they just sort of like slice it mm -hmm. but with my hair so my very particular uh ginger hair it just makes it like it makes the ends stick up so it actually Ooh. I just get from the hairdresser and it looks like my hair my my ends are split again so I actually prefer the the those 
the those scissors. Thinning scissors. Yes. Um, so an eye, for example, and it's 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 funny because I have I think people is, look at me and think I have I have very standard hair, right? But I have lots of anxiety around hairdressers because I grew up being told I had a really difficult hair to style because it is so thick, and. I've also come across a lot of different hairdressers who cut it really badly to the extent that I wasn't comfortable leaving the house just because they didn't know how to deal with red hair that is this thick. Because it is, it's different. it's different. It is different. So now every time I, I go for a new hairdresser, I, I'm like, can you handle this type of hair? Are you sure? And then I'm still <laughs> terrified. And it takes me, it takes me a long time uh, to trust someone. Yeah. I cut my own hair so that tells you how much I talk I to hairdressers yes no I'm, right. I'm yeah but it's a thing yeah have you reached that sweet place where you've written out your entire story it's a wonderful feeling you've worked so hard for this spent so many long hours at the keyboard or talking to yourself every quarter then going over it again at the computer it's been mostly internal work and it's often been alone but now it's time to take it from rough to polished. And for that, outside perspective is essential. Let me help you. As a developmental editor, I, Bethany A. Tucker, will take your hand, sort through your draft, answer your questions, and help you polish it until your work shines. You don't have to do this alone. It doesn't matter if this is your first book or your 10th book, whether you've published this book already and want to make it better, or you're teetering on the edge, eager to publish for the first time. Together, we can take your book to the next level. Contact me via links in the show notes or at theartandscienceofwords at gmail.com to take the next step. Okay, so our next topic for today is dreads. And a lot of people start screaming cultural appropriation when they see white people with dreadlocks. And this is exactly why we wanted to talk about it today. Because it's more complex and it points to a forgetfulness of world history. Like dreads and locks have historically been found among tons of people, right? Like Northern Europeans, Egyptians, some Germanic tribes, the Aborigines and, and New Guineans, as well as the Somali, the Gala, the Maasai, the Ashanti and the Fulani tribes of Africa. So this is something to keep in mind as you craft characters, both in modern day historical settings or even in sci-fi or fantasy settings. Yes. So without digging too deep into this conflict, um, one way to handle this, if you are choosing to harken back to a heritage that is not African for dreads, then if possible, link back to the heritage that the dreads your non-Black character is wearing um, in some other way, rather than just the hair, if you're setting it in the real world. So if like... You're linking it back to a Celtic heritage. Have there be yeah. something else Celtic about the character and the way they practice their lives? Yeah. So a couple things about dreads. There is more than one kind of dreadlock uh, or dreadlocks. There are more than a few ways to form dreads. We won't go into all of that here. I definitely fell down the rabbit hole for more than an hour of research and mm -hmm. had to just like be like, okay, got to move on now. Um, they they require upkeep and cleaning, as my friends with dreads have explained to me. Just like any other hair type, the scalp has to be kept clean and healthy, just like anyone's scalp. As the dreads grow out, the top of the hair becomes loose, of course, because it's just come out of the head. 
and that uh, new hair growth needs to be rolled into the lock. You can't see what my fingers are doing here, but it's like a certain way of like twisting and turning it into the lock. And if the locks are not able to completely dry from the inside, from the outside down into the core of the dread, they can eventually mold or it's actually called dread rot, requiring them to be trimmed or looked after in some fashion to clean that up in a serious way. Um, that takes a long time to happen, um, as it's been explained to me. And it doesn't mean that the person is dirty or there's anything yeah. bad about it. It's just like anything else you have to keep an eye on. It's not something you would tell right away is happening. Um, they, uh, the Dreadlocks can also become quite heavy on the neck, leading some lock wearers to trim them, uh, just like you would trim your hair. <laughs> and uh, to a regular length, they find comfortable to carry in terms of weight. Other people take great pride in uh, growing them as long as possible. So that's it's really dependent on the personality. Yeah, and that also depends on other, like my hair is so thick that if it gets too long, I get a headache. So yep. even though I don't have dreads, it's so heavy that Gotta at one point it. I have to cut it because it just, it just, it just, yeah, you cannot see me, but I'm pulling my hair right now. <laughs> it just, you know, it just, it feels like my scalp is just constantly being pulled. Um, but about dreads, like those who wear dreads can, you know, style them. They can do them up in bonds, knots. They can wear wraps or scarves over them. They can weave in ornaments. I, I, I have seen that a lot. Um, and they can even use like hair ties, pins and barrettes to keep, um, or berets, sorry, to keep the looks in place, right? And they can even be temporarily braided. So you can do a lot of stuff with it. Yeah. A lot of stuff. It's actually quite beautiful. Dreads can be combed out. Deciding to change one's hairstyle away from dreads does not mean your character simply has to cut them off. As some white people told me when I was a kid. No, I, I know this from experience, actually. Um, as someone who's been experimented on when I was a teenager, a friend of mine spent most of the day creating dreadlocks. And then my mom walks in saying, yeah, we're going out for dinner in a bit. I need, and, uh, I need you to fix your hair because you're not coming like this. So, Ouch. yes. It's a perfectly legitimate way to do your hair. Yeah, but she wasn't finished. And there oh. was no time. <laughs> so oh, my mom was like, you have an hour. So we spend the hour with my head covered in uh, conditioner to make it soft yep. and yep. then combing, combing, combing and me crying and my friend saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. It That's was, uh, why it was... you needed to learn to wrap your hair up like I used to do. Yes. And then you could have finished like... later. Yes. But I was like 15. So I don't think I was, I was that. Uh... Anyway, let's talk about wigs and weaves. All right. So technically these can fall under protective ha hairstyles because they give the natural hair beneath it a rest especially if too many dyes or relaxers have been used in the natural hair and it needs time to grow out and recover. But that is only one way wigs are used in certain communities. They're used in a lot of other ways beyond that. Yeah, so just for those listening who don't know, what's a relaxer? A relaxer is a chemical placed in hair that is curly or really tightly coiled that makes it possible to get it somewhat approximately or exactly straight. Okay. Yeah. And, it's not and, great for the hair, but. Yeah. And just to get, cause I think most people understand wigs, just to make sure that everyone understands what it, cause I think everybody has heard the term weave, but I don't think a lot of people understand exactly what it is. All right. So 
Let's see, um, weaves are hair pieces, uh, not a full covering of hair, but hair that can be braided or glued into the hair or onto the, cal onto the scalp, um, attached to the hair someone already has, like extensions, in fact. Some weaves are extensions, I, I believe. There's a whole plethora of how this is done. There's not just one way to do it from something that can be added to a ponytail with like a simple scrunchie device. So suddenly you have this really long ponytail when your hair is actually like a bob um, to weaves that are professionally added to your hair bit by bit and just augments what you have. Like if your hair got really thin, you can like place these in staggered around your scalp to make you have a fuller head of hair. So who might wear weaves? Lots of people of all ethnicities, literally anyone and anyone has. It's not limited to race or gender, especially these days, though usually more often a femme presenting person will invest in this. Personally, I've always enjoyed the idea of wigs and weaves for changing identities. I've done this for characters or changing how a character codes. I adore how the Black Widow uses wigs in the Marvel universe. Like sometimes mm -hmm. there's those dramatic scenes where she just pulls the wig off and then she's like someone else. Yeah. Um, don't forget wigs are available to your male presenting characters as well. You can buy a wig and then always get it cut to the hairstyle you needed short or long. So, so what about wigs? Like I told you before we started recording, when I think of wigs, I think of, and so I'm not talking about fun wigs, right? <laughs> or medical wigs I, I like when I think of people who actually wear wigs ritually I think of orthodox Jewish women right the first time I saw that was in the film Eyes Wide Open and then I saw it again in the trailer of Unorthodox a Netflix series about a Hasidic Jewish woman I did hear about Unorthodox um read about it a little bit. I haven't seen the complete series. The main character of that series, she wore a wig to hide her natural hair from men other than her husband as her family of origins, their traditions dictated. It's not all Orthodox traditions that do this to the best of my knowledge as I did my research, but her sex did. The hair had to be completely covered and that was one way to do it was to use a wig. I think shaving or cutting of the hair also helped keep the natural hair covered. There's like this really dramatic shaving scene that you can see clips of online where she's crying and they're shaving her head. Um, again, just one small group uh, did this. It's a, a sect of a subgroup of a religion. Um, mm -hmm. So don't generalize to your characters before you've done your research. If your character wears wigs, they may have a lot of fun with them. Um, have a ton of different wigs in a variety of styles and colors, or just have one they use all the time. I have a friend who has different wigs on each time I've met her so far. They all look great, and it's really fun. Um, I do have to learn to identify her by just her face and body shape instead of hair and color, which is a little bit hard for me, <laughs> but that's something I'm learning to do. When people change wigs on me, I can get really surprised and not recognize them right away which has led to some awkward moments actually especially during covid when people changed a wig and a face mask i did not know who they were no that makes sense yeah. <laughs> yeah um there was an entire room full laughing one day and i was like red in the face but if there's a lot of wig wearing in a society characters will be trained to see beyond the hair to identify friends and family so keep that in mind yeah so I don't wear wigs myself, but here's a few things from our research notes. 
wigs do have to be cared for cleaned, right? Like I said, I'm absolutely not an expert, but you should look into this if you have someone like running around the high mountains, right? Eventually the wig is going to be ratty and not at all doing its job like before. So keep this in mind. Yeah, it's probably like it's right there next to your skull. It's getting dirty just like your normal hair would. Um, I've heard women talking about, quote unquote, their girl that they had to take care of, quote unquote, their hair, meaning their wigs. Wigs are certainly an investment of effort and have to be packaged, prepared for and paid for. They're also natural hair wigs and wigs made from synthetics or hair from someone else, like actual hair. Mm-hmm. Um, the more most expensive wigs would be made from hair from another person, or so I've heard. Lots of cities have wig shops, so my suggestion would be to walk in and ask questions if you really need to dig into this more. YouTube has a lot of really great videos. What I would not do is walk up to someone you suspect of wearing a wig and start asking questions uninvited. That's a kind of taboo in most communities. There's even a shop here in my town now that plays on this taboo fact. The the name of the shop is, shh, it's a wig. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah, but it's true, right? It's like this, it it is this thing. And also I was going to say, this is definitely also, you, you did say men wear wigs, but I was thinking about toupees. Yes, so there is definitely, wigs is definitely also a gendered thing. Yes. Yeah. So it's a cultural thing. It's an, it's, it's a religious, it can be a religious thing. And it's definitely also a gendered thing. Um, and a time but, period yeah. thing. But and a time, yeah. Yeah. So these days, for example, men simply shave their heads. Right. A but, lot of the time. Or they yeah. do that thing now where they medically have hair implanted. Or Or that, yes. But like... I cannot remember the last time I saw a good comb over. That's what my dad used to have. And I was really young when my dad died. So mm-hmm. that was not a weird thing for me. And I remember when, so when my dad was laid out in the casket, mm-hmm. they hadn't done his hair right. So my mom, actually, when we went to, to visit him, my mom brought his comb mm-hmm. and she fixed his comb over. Right. And that was completely normal for me because that's the only way I knew my dad. And I'm not thinking like they like my dad's comb over was like a few hairs, right? It was not like a massive flap of hair, which is like a couple of hairs, like a couple of sprigs from one mm-hmm. side to the other. You could definitely see that he was bald at the top, right? Mm-hmm. And it was only when I was later that people said, Oh, yeah, your dad, he, like he was the guy with the comb over, right? And that was when I was like, Oh, right, yeah, that's actually something that we sort of like it's like a bit of a taboo it's like we make fun of it people who do that uh but th- that took me because i grew up with him so for me it was such so normal until much later yeah i think it used to be much more normal to be honest and people knew how to do it right yeah. my grandfather had a comb over that looked amazing like even today it looked great and if it was yeah. windy he'd just wear his golfing cap so that it wouldn't like blow off yeah. So this is the thing, but I think these days men are much more comfortable saying, I'm just going to shave it all off because having oh, yeah. a bald head is not as, is not as, as shameful as it used to be that you were losing your hair. Yeah. Um, so this is yeah. definitely a, a generational thing. Think about that. Yeah. So generation and age is also really important. So to sum up, um, because we were still talking about wigs, they've traditionally been worn around the world and they are still quite popular today like from cancer survivors to those struggling with other medical issues to women in certain sects, like with sects, 
like we talked about, and in China. You've told me about a cultural education trip you took to a village where there are some tribes in which the women cut their very long hair on or about the time they marry. And they, what did you say? They added to the hair they've saved from combing their hair all their lives. And they make this really complicated sort of wig braid weave thing that communicates time and social placement. That's, you told me about this once. Yeah, um, it's the... Nongliu village in the Guangxi province, People's Republic of China. The women are from the Yao people group. And what I learned when I was visiting there, what's translated to me, um, mostly agrees with this Vogue article that I've included the link for. So if people want to look up the details, um, the time that they cut their really long hair and turn it into a braid to actually add to their natural hair was different from what I was told in person versus the article. But it's pretty close. My cultural professor informed me that they cut their hair when they marry. Um, this article says 18. I will say that the Yao women I met were all rather giggly and were mostly curious about the blondes, redheads, and the curly girls in my class. Um, they were just as uh, curious about us as we were curious about them. Their hair is very long. We're talking like eight feet of hair for women that are like my height, and I'm like five foot. Um, but they would comb their hair and this used to happen for women in Europe and America as well you would save the hair that fell out when you were combing your hair and you would turn it into like rolls that you would like put inside of a stocking or something and then those big blowout hairstyles that people used to have they didn't actually get their hair to just stand up by themselves they would put like this roll around their head and then wrap their hair around the roll to get those big poofy hairstyles like the Gibson girl look and stuff. I did not know that. So that's really good if you're writing historical fiction. Correct. That's really good that you have to research that. Yes. Yeah, so it's clean hair. Like they get it from their own hair and they make these rolls out of it. So the Yao women I met did a similar thing, completely different content, uh, continent came from different backgrounds, but they would save the hair that they combed out and do something similar, like create these hairballs that they could use to style their hair still attached to their scalp around. So it was all still their own hair. They kept it very clean. They had all these processes and rituals around it. And then at a certain age, they would cut their hair off at a certain point. It was still pretty long. And they would make a braid out of the hair they had cut off and then add that as an addition um, to their growing hair. So they had like three parts of their own hair that made these big elaborate hairstyles that changed depending on like if they were married or not married, etc. It was a form of social communication and it was, it appeared to be social, like the women spent time helping each other with their hair, it strengthened social bonds, etc. Like for somebody who just wakes up and puts a brush through her hair and that's it, that seems sounds like a lot of work. Um, yes, but I mean, we used to yeah. have all these social ties of like, oh, it's girls, yeah. they were all going to the salon together. It's it's the same thing. We do I it know, too. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, not me. I'm an introvert. I'm, a, I'm an introvert, right? So I don't. <laughs> all right. So you're not going to spend all day at the salon with your girlfriends. I, I am not that. spending. No, no, I would never know. Um, but then, of course, like we were talking about, you know, why people wear wigs. Um, there are also people who might wear wigs for work. Uh, so we were thinking spies, right? Yes. Just your appearance. 
but there are of course actors there are dancers reenactment guides tour guides for some locations can you think of anyone else who might wear a wig for work models i suppose they might wear wigs um sometimes um that's a guess i think yeah, pop stars music stars sometimes wear wigs and uh, now that i'm thinking of some like cute meetup in a romance novel that might include a wig mix up with a wig i don't know yeah, I think that that would totally work as a plot point. So yeah. let's let let's talk about because I'm looking like we have so much more to cover. So let's talk about hand motions, gestures, actions around hair. All right. So like I just said, hair can be very social and time consuming. So it could be important. It could be appropriate to incorporate instances of hair care like braiding, wig care, or moisturizing. Like if you have to sit around and wait for it for like two hours or combing, depending on your character into their daily or social lives in the plot. Like in Crazy Rich Asians, the future mother-in-law is interrupted with news that her son is dating someone while sitting in her house at a Bible study. The setting of the Bible study says a lot about her and her social circle. The same kind of moment might happen for women who meet up at a salon to do their hair together or who do it for each other at their homes. That might be a good location to like set up a social structure and then have something happen. That, that reminds me of the film Steel Magnolia. Uh, Steve Magnolia's, where Dolly Parton, uh, she runs a beauty parlor where all the female characters meet every week. So a lot of the film is set in that particular beauty parlor, right? That's where they discuss, that's where they gossip, that's where they make de big decisions about life. That's where they, right? So it's, um, yeah, definitely. And actually, this also shows up in the Western genre for men, right? Where male characters, you know, they come into town and the first stop that they have is the barber. You know, so they can, you know, get their beard, beard trimmed and their hair done while they catch up on the latest news and sort of check out where they've ended up, right? Yeah, I've definitely heard about the barber being like the, the town psychologist before we had a psychologist. <laughs> and and, and the, a slash town gossip. Yes, it depends on the barber. There's an yeah. entire culture of barbershops being places for men to meet and talk. And in the U.S., historically, it been a safe space for Black men to meet and talk and fight and feud and vigorously discuss issues because white men weren't going to be there because it, it was they were all doing Black hair. Yeah. So there's some TV shows and films that showcase this. I actually asked one of my partners for ideas as I was writing this, and they threw out a bunch of them. Uh, was was an easy topic for them to be like, yeah, I got ideas. <laughs> so Luke Cage... African-American culture right there in season one, episode one. There's um, yes. yeah. scenes that happen in barbershop. Um, barbershop, that, that's literally the title, has Ice Cube, Anthony Anderson, Sean Patrick, and Cedric the Entertainer in this whole thing that happens in and around a barbershop. Some of the scenes I watched are really intense um, and get really real. And I would classify this as an own voices work. But if you're looking to educate yourself, go watch that. Coming to America has barbershop scenes that get pretty feisty, but also show how hair care creates a space for plot development and discussion. And then in Boondocks, there's this pivotal scene for one character where Uncle Ruckus goes to a barbershop after finally admitting he's actually Black. Uncle Ruckus is a very interesting character that I would need an hour to break down. Um, but he's a black character who doesn't want to be black. So he goes into a barbershop to get his hair done and then the whole thing falls apart and it's all about like the culture of it. So my partner 
found it to be a really good scene. And I said I would put a label on it, but include it. All right, so I'd also like to mention the beautiful Oscar-winning short, Hair Love. It's focused on a family, a young girl, her mother, and her father. Again, this is definitely type of an own voices project, but it has a lot to teach someone writing outside the community. And I think the general themes of it can translate to any community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I'll put show notes, I'll put links to those in the show notes uh, so people can uh, sort of like look up what we're going to have like a mini booklet of show notes this time. <laughs> yes. So I, I think we'd also be remiss if we didn't mention or at least briefly what cutting hair might mean for character development, like from setting a character up for something rebellious, like in Alana in Tamora Pierce's books, you know, cutting her hair short to pass her brother in night training or Mulan cutting her hair to take her father's place. And then like to the hair cutting scene in Viva Vendetta, which is like psychological torture. Yeah, or vows not to cut hair until something has happened or to not cut one's beard or to shave one's head in grief or to show that vows have been taken. Yeah. I don't think we have time to go into all of that, but those are significant actions that appear in literature again and again and give us as authors a lot to play with that can be mentally and visually stunning. Yeah. I think hair is a really strong way to communicate, like especially in film, but I, we can truly do this in the written form as well, in inner transformation, right? For example, there's a significant scene with the character Deep and shaving his head in the show, The Boys. And in a somewhat less serious example, there's the I feel violated scene in, in Wolverine, in, in the one that's set in Japan, where Logan is somewhat vigorously assisted with like scrub brushes and scissors, and he's like visually transformed. Yes, by a lot of very eager uh, female assistants. Yeah. He doesn't look too happy about it. <laughs> no, no, that ends the I feel violated kind of idea, right? Yeah. Yes. So just a few more quick thoughts before we move on, and in no particular order. If someone has an afro, they are not going to just run their hands through their hair while thinking, especially if they are trying to be presentable. Um, one, they might not be able to get their hands through their hair, and two, it would completely mess it up. So don't include that just randomly. Yeah, so if, because we do a lot, like we see a lot of in romance novels or in stories where there's a romance threat that they rake their hands through their hair, mm -hmm. that doesn't work for all hair types. No, it does no. not. It doesn't even work for my hair type. <laughs> It works for my hair type, but if you have if you have a character who's really keen on looking good and like uses lots of hair products, they're not gonna touch their hair. I mean, they're gonna freak out if you touch their hair. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, so if you're a guy writing women's hair and you have her outside in the wind and rain, she is unlikely to walk out of that looking perfect. I kind of have a pet peeve about this in films and books. Yeah. Unless she has some sort of tight roll-up do that she can redo while her hair is still wet. Like, yeah. you could probably pull off certain types of hairstyles or braids. Loose flowing curls and big romantic swirls are not going to be in the picture successfully. I love that in Princess Diaries 1, um, Mia's big speech at the end is delivered with awful hair because she got caught outside in a, in a rainstorm. And that is so realistic, exactly how it would happen. And it did take her entire makeup and hair team to get her looking good for the rest of the party afterwards. And I was so glad they included that. Yeah, because that's not just like magic. No, that takes a lot of work. You better have a fairy yeah. godmother with a wand if someone just 
transforms. Yeah, but that's only Cinderella. <laughs> so I, I would say that it's it's very realistic when someone of any gender takes time getting fancy, right? That simply takes time. It does. I didn't realize till I was prepping for this episode, but I totally love in romance novels where it's acknowledged that someone has to get home early from work to prepare for a date or that they panic because they don't have time to shave their legs or decondition their hair. I mean, that's so relatable to me. And anyone with curly hair of any ethnicity, you pretty much need to deep condition or be putting in leave-in conditioner or for some of us straight up dosing ourselves in jojoba oil uh, or something like that. Um, the ancient Greek and Romans, Egyptians, others, they were on to something with hair oil, let me tell you. There's a few romance authors I read that do this well, and I so, so appreciate it as a reader. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a cozy mystery series right now, and that acknowledges that as well, right? The 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 old, like, I need to do, I need to run an errand here, and I promised my, my mom and dad that I would go by their house to do, like, what are their plans? But I also have this hot date, and oh, and it's busy at my job, and can I... <gasps> Right. So I think that's a really nice, that's a really nice change that you don't just wake up and go to work without trying to be presentable. And then you could just move on to your hot date. No. Yeah. I don't think what, readers want that fantasy anymore. We want to be acknowledged. Life is hard. Yes. Yes, it is. So you also at one point mentioned sleeping in hair wraps. Oh, yes. So uh, some people from many different ethnicities, I know this personally from African heritage, but I've also seen it in others, um, especially people with tight coiled hair or wavy hair will sleep in silk lined caps to protect their curls so that you don't get that rubbing uh, split in thing that can happen with delicate hair against like cotton pillows and stuff. Um, You'll see more of this protective hair care, even for European hair types, historically, women would sleep in their like nightcap. Um, so check your time period and location. In some cultures, there was a special pillow neck headrest technology designed to keep elaborate hairdos safe during sleeping. In some cases, this basically just cradled the neck protectively while the top of the hair didn't, or the top of the head didn't really touch anything to keep the hair from being messed up because it could take hours for those hairdos to happen. Um, I've seen a ton of these in Chinese historical exhibits, but they weren't the only ones who did it, just the ones I've studied. Yeah, no, I've seen them. I've seen them at museums as well. Yeah, those just those neck things. Oh, that yeah. seems so uncomfortable, but people did it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So I know that we could go on, but we did promise everyone that we talk about head coverings as well. So should we do that before we actually run out of time? Yeah, I mean, this is once a month podcasting now, so people are getting really big, chunky episodes. Yes. Let's do this. Okay. So let me check my notes. Let's see where we are moving to the next session. Um, yeah, if you have any more questions about hair, just write us about it. We'll come back into a future episode. But yeah, let's focus on headgear, head coverings right now. Yeah. So in, in current discourse, we sometimes forget that in modern Western society, just how practical hair coverings are. And we think of them as something that's like more backwards or super religious, like with all the discussions about uh, and banning of the hijab, you know, that have been happening in Europe. But that isn't necessarily always the case. Like head coverings for men and women can come into play in many ways beyond religion and what one's culture dictates. So here's a few of them. And this is the, the this is for me the fun part because some of them are so obvious. But they don't show up in books halfway yes. enough. Yes. So this is why we are describing them. So we have sports, right? Like baseball caps. 
Long distance running and hiking can come with types of head covering. Living in a place with a lot of sun. Like when I moved here, people told me buy a hat. I bought a hat, never wear the hat, but I do have a hat. <laughs> I just don't like wearing hats. Um, living in a place that's cold, right? Uh, I probably like, I, I would, I will wear something when it's cold. Uh, military, which can have, and this is an important distinction to make, the practical, the practical head coverings, mm -hmm. right, or headgear, and the one that's part of the uniform, they're not necessarily the same, so keep that in mind as well, like on the battlefield, somebody wears something different than, you know, when they're presenting and saluting. Yeah, um, and make sure you get those right, people will come after you if you get military uniforms wrong. Yes, absolutely, if there's like one stripe missing, oh, yeah. Okay, so it can also be political statements, for example, the knitted hats of the Women's March in the US, and I was also thinking the colorful knitted balaclavas of Pussy Riot, the band, yep, uh, the Russian band. Hygiene, right? There are dirty places, there are dirty environments, there, you know, when you, you discuss this, if there's a lack of bathing options, you know, you might want to cover up your hair just to make it stay clean longer. Uh, sterility, of course, food prep or hospital environments. You see head yep. coverings all the time. And of course, the safety gear, like whether it's like helmets for motorcycle, whether it's for sports, like, you know, this cycling, um, construction work, all of those. Hospitals, yeah. we've all been dealing with that for the last, you know, while. Yes. All right. So I agree with all of that. Headgear and head coverings have often... Uh, visually they have these outlines and shapes that when drawn or seen in reliefs are memorable and can trigger a lot of knowledge and association in people so yeah. you'll see like historical novels you'll just have an outline of a helmet and people just automatically know which country's helmet that is and what time period and they don't even know how they know they just know um so the head is one of the first things that we see about other people so using descriptions of the head and what is worn on it is a nice shorthand for getting a lot of information across to a reader really quickly without them even like realizing it. For example, Jason Elliott starts a scene in his memoir, An Unexpected Light Travels in Afghanistan with the following words. It was calm that first morning. I felt utterly removed from the haste and clamor of home. There was a trickle of bicycles and moving barely faster, a few veteran taxis, some elderly turbaned men stringing, uh, stringing in an untroubled space with hands clasped behind their backs, passed us in the opposite direction and broke into courteous smiles at the unlikely sight of two overburdened foreigners asking for directions. So there's no need with this description for Elliot to say, we arrived in Afghanistan. No, so this is showing, not telling. Yes, very well. Yes, a really good example of that. I think as we're writing, just allowing hair and headgear or head coverings to be part of research is a useful way to add a sense of time and place. So when we're researching a location and looking at photos, or you know, if we're lucky, we're actually locating, visiting a location, just adding that to our list of impressions to include naturally as we write, I think that's a good way to take a writing to the next level. Exactly. Like if I was writing a romance set in the Seattle area during the colder months, I'd probably include different kind of like REI branded skull caps, those little duckbill protrusions you sometimes see in the front of winter coats, the hoods of winter coats that keep the rain off your face, like a lot of North Face and uh, knockoff brand headgear. Outside of downtown Seattle, in downtown Seattle, that's like the one place in the state where people 
do habitually walk instead of drive from place to place because they can. We actually have public transportation there. But generally in the state, Washingtonians don't carry umbrellas. Um, we're actually really proud of not carrying umbrellas, even when we're getting absolutely soaking wet. Um, we just drive everywhere and then we run from our cars to the store, to our friend's house, like mad dash. It's very fast. And uh, oh, yeah. And I'd have my character like wear a ton of like micro fleece hats and stuff like that. That's gotten really big. Okay, so let's I wouldn't let's... include a ton of umbrellas. Okay, no, but that is so like uh, when I was living in Ireland, I was always carrying an umbrella, right? There was sort of like you had to have one in your bag because so that was there, it was very normal. Yeah, like um, I even learned to use an umbrella on a bicycle when I lived in Gunma, Japan. See, I have never like I'm Dutch, but I've never mastered that one. That was just if it was, you know, <laughs> but but the Dutch have very particular rain gear, like a whole suit you can pull on over your clothes. Nice. Yes, well, yeah. not as because it's there. It's absolutely not. It doesn't breathe. Oh, so you'd be dry from the rain, but you would be sweating. Oh. So it's not ideal. It's not ideal. But yeah, that's it's. I'm not sure if that's a Dutch thing actually. That that particular rain gear. I mean, there's no use for it if you don't cycle like maniacs. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's look at some ways that we as authors can think about hair and head coverings to make our writing richer in terms of POV. Like we've mentioned a few already, and we're about to go a little deeper. All right. So it's very common, especially in globalized regions, for a character to not know in a natural way what someone else's head covering or hairstyle is called. If possible, it's best for us as writers to know the proper terms. And perhaps if it's natural for the story, our POV character can learn the name of the headgear or hairstyle. But it's perfectly fine for the POV to control the language resources at our disposal as authors for these descriptions. Um, I'm going to include a little bit of a side note here. Our research for this episode included a lot of Muslim women head coverings and some Muslim men in terminology, but our airtime just doesn't allow us to include that level of detail here. So if you'd like some really good educational links, go look at our show notes because we'll just label a set of links for you there on that topic. Is that all right, Marielle? Yes. So Yes, and and like we are like we're gonna drop a bunch. You already said it. We're gonna bunch drop a bunch of notes in the in the in the drop a bunch of links in the show notes. Yeah. So um, going back to our topic, right? If we know our audience will not know a term, if we use the correct term for a hairstyle, slipping in a description alongside the proper term can really help our readers stay in the story and keep moving along. Yes, I would absolutely do that. And it can happen very naturally. Yes, it doesn't have to be like two page description, right? You can just. Oh, I usually do it be like name of hairstyle, comma description, comma moving on. Like keep it to three or four words. Yes. All right, so switching topics for a moment in a sideways way. If you're writing about headgear that is protective such as hard hats and other forms of PPE, personal protective equipment. Do, no, do note that this gear is more often than not designed for a man's body and not a woman's. The Science and Engineering Prospect um, site, uh, so this is like a research magazine, I believe, surveyed women looking working in emergency services, transportation, construction, research and development, energy, section, energy sectors, et cetera, in the UK, and found that only 29% were wearing safety gear made for them. 
honestly, this makes me think of the problem I had with my headphones for years, um, like 10 years, even though I kept shopping for the small sizes until my husband actually said, what if you look for headphones for women? And I looked at him and was like, that, that's a thing. And he's like, yes. So he found a pair for me, apologized because there were only two options on all of Amazon that met my needs and were designed for women. And I have been wearing those headphones every day since. I'm seriously in love. For the first time in my life, headphones stay on my head instead of falling off. So I'm so, so happy. The inside of my ears don't hurt. My head doesn't hurt. And I don't have to think about it, which has made making this podcast better. But like that wasn't a thing when I first started shopping for headphones. So women doing things much more seriously than much more serious and difficult than sitting at a desk recording a podcast like I'm doing now have to contend contend with these kinds of problems. Um, So like when I'm sanding uh, in the garage or outside and I'm like redoing wood projects and stuff, the one size fits all mass safety mask at the hardware store, it cuts into my face and it doesn't actually make complete seals. So I'm still breathing in some of the fumes and dust and everything. So including size issues uh, would be a layer of realism for your work. It can even be a plot point. Um, Bloomberg's Law's article in our show notes on employers exposed when women's safety equipment doesn't fit certainly gave me a few plot ideas beyond headgear, to be honest. And some articles even went on to prove that like during this COVID pandemic, because PPE um, didn't fit correctly on women, even though 79% of the women serving in the UK medical sector, 79% of the people serving women's medical sector were women, most of them were still wearing PPE made for men. They were less protected than their male colleagues because those seals didn't happen to keep COVID out. Yeah. Yeah, so this is definitely something to keep in mind and uh, to be aware of when you're writing. Yeah, yeah. It, it can move a plot along. Yeah. So just a note, um, if you are writing for an international audience, you might want to slip in a subtle description of a head covering the first time it appears in your book, even one you think of as mundane and common. And, you know, something anyone in your own culture region uh, is familiar with, Right. So with global reading audiences, you can't always count on something only being read within your group that knows. Yeah, because people are reading all over now. Yes. All right, so I would say it's not always important, right? Not always. Yeah, but if it actually has meaning for your plot or for your story arc, for your character arcs, just very naturally, organically slip in a bit of a description. Yeah, if it's like, part of your character's identity that's going to mean something or a plot point hinges on it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we have literally, even though we've been talking for, I don't even know how long, well over an hour now, we've just barely covered this topic. Yes. (laughs) But we are going to try to keep these things somewhat manageable. So our time for this episode is up. It, the topic will be much more extensive in the book as we finish writing it. And we are working on that. So There's so much more to say, and there are hundreds of types of headgear we haven't covered for both men and women. We will leave doing that specific research on these things to you if you need to work with these in your story. And we may come back to some parts of it later. Questions will let us know what is most pressing for you. So if you have them, please drop notes or send us an email. Yes, agreed. And I think that's all we can cover for today. Like 
Beyond writing for diversity, I just want to remind everyone how powerful hair and head coverings can be for defining plays and character as well. Agreed. So we wish everyone happy writing and joy in the exploration. Don't fall too far down that rabbit hole on YouTube as you do your research. And our next episode will come out on the 1st of June. So see you then. Thank you for joining us. Music for this show was written and produced by Eric Mills. If you found this episode helpful, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app and spread the word so other writers can find us too. To get our Doing Diversity in Writing Toolkit, which includes all bonus material from season one, go to representationmatters.art. That's dot A-R-T. Here you will also find our episode show notes. Happy writing and see you next episode.